Well, a couple of things before we dive right into God's Word is that I would like to pray for many things that are going on in the life of the church and in the life around the church and just generally for the Lord's provision here as we look into His Word. Let us pray. Father God, we desire our little church to be a home for truth in a confusing world of half-truths and ambiguity. Lord, we ask that you draw people here that are searching for the clarity of the gospel in their lives. May our teaching in our lives plainly communicate the gospel of God and that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, we come to your scriptures this morning in humble dependence upon your grace. We ask for your grace in hearing the words concerning your Christ this morning. We ask for your enabling grace to use our words and our works to give a compelling testimony of your grace in Jesus to our families, to our co-workers, to our neighbors throughout uh, the community this week. We're dependent upon your grace to live with one another as a church body that is a pillar and a buttress of the truth concerning the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. And I ask, Lord, that you would have your way with your people this morning. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 10. So here's what we, uh, our, our normal mode is that we will read the passage, uh, 22 through verse 42. Uh, then we will break it down and make some applications, um, and observations as we go. So John chapter 10. Uh, beginning in verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is God's word for God's people this morning. 
Thanks be to God. Our uh, plain message as a Christian, and John will get to this soon in chapter 14, but our plain uh, message as a Christian is that Jesus is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Our plain message is also this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does good. No, not even one. Further, our message is this. He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Jesus, in the way, in the truth, in the life. These are the words of reconciliation that God has given His church and has given each member of His church as we are ambassadors for Christ with a duty to do the work of God in reconciling sinners to God. In this morning's text, we'll see that Jesus, His words, His works, and the testimony of other witnesses plainly communicate that He is who He claims to be. Christian, do your words and your works and the testimony of others affirm or deny your claims about who Jesus is first? And do your words, your works, and your testimony uh, to of others, do they plainly communicate that you are who you claim to be, a Christian? As we look at our text this morning, you will see that in this passage is sort of like the a culmination, if you would, like of where we've been so far, of all that Jesus has done, all the works that Jesus has done in His name. It is uh, a an affirmation of the prologue in chapter one, verses one through eighteen. It also solidifies the the purpose of the book that uh, John says in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, is that that by believing that you would have life in his name, that these are the words and works of Christ, and that by believing you would have life in his name, and that life would be an abundant life as we saw before. So first I want to set the scene here. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So Jesus has come to Jerusalem during the Feast of Dedication. And you might know this Feast uh, of Dedication. It's known as Hanukkah or the eight-day Festival of Lights. This is an extra-biblical celebration. It is one that began in A.D. 164. The celebration began as a rededication of the temple. And in 162 BC, the Syrian ruler Antichius Epiphanes IV, he set up a pagan altar in the temple, and he banned also the public reading of the Hebrew scriptures. So as they celebrated this, right, this was a restoration of being able to publicly read the scriptures. This was a celebration of removing paganism from their temple and that they would restore right worship and and the word of God, right? So this is this is what they would uh, have come to celebrate at that time. The feast occurred in the month of Kislev, which is December. And so Jesus here is walking and he's teaching in the east area of a covered porch area of the temple. This covered porch area is known as Solomon's Colonnade. Some of your Bibles might call it Solomon's Portico. Some might call it Solomon's Porch. This would have kept Jesus out of the cool, open air. So here we are in December. It's winter. So John makes a point to say this, right? It's winter. It's the Feast of Dedication. So Jesus is in a place where he would have cover, right? And so uh, 
this would have kept him out of that cool air of winter. And you right, might recall that this, this semi-covered enclosed area became the place of open proclamation that Jesus was the Christ in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, and Acts chapter 5, for example, uh, this is where Peter went to the uh, to Solomon's porch, and he boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ and claims that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. So it is in this semi-enclosed area that Jesus is confronted by the Jews in verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So there's kind of this juxtaposition, right? Jesus had been preaching in the open air. He'd been preaching out in the open. Uh, and now here he is in winter in this semi-covered area, the semi-enclosed area. And they say, why don't you just say it plainly? Why don't you just say, I am the Messiah? Why don't you just say, I am the Christ? Well, they ask this question because they, not that they want clarity. They don't want clarity. They're not asking him to be clear that he is the Christ. They're not asking for clarity. We'll soon see that they're asking this question because they want to form an attack. They want to use his answer as a way to refute him and to come at him. So they say, tell us plainly. If we don't believe your words, basically, is what they're saying. If we don't believe your words, Jesus... If we don't believe that you are the word made flesh, if we don't believe that you are the living water, if we don't believe that you are the bread of life, if we don't believe that you are the light of the world, if we don't believe that you are the door to the sheep, if we don't believe that you are the good shepherd, you need to tell us plainly that you are the Christ. See, basically what they're saying is, if we don't believe all of those things, Jesus, it's your fault. You haven't been plain to me. If I don't believe, you cannot hold me accountable. This is your fault. You have not been plain. You have not been clear. Well, notice that I said all of those things that Jesus has already taught them. That he is the word made flesh. That he is the living water. That he is the bread of life. That he is the light of the world. That he is the door to the sheep. That he is the good shepherd. How plain could it have been? Right? And they're saying, you need to speak more plain because if you had, then... Of course, we would believe that this is your fault. So James Boyce tells this story, and I've kind of adapted it here this morning. He tells a story about um, a person. So imagine, if you will, you are driving here on Highway 47, and you are headed outside of Gaston, headed towards Forest Grove, and you're headed at a pretty good pace. You're headed at about 65-plus miles an hour. And you get past the turnoff to Hag Lake, and the, Wash, the uh, yeah, Washington County Sheriff pulls you over. And he comes over and he says, do you know how fast you were going? He says, well, yeah, I was going 65. Did you know that the speed limit was 55? He says, you know, that's a really good question. I, I don't know. I, I was contemplating that in my mind, whether it was 55 or whether it was 65. I couldn't make up my mind. 
So I decided to go 65 miles an hour. And he says, well, then did you, did you see the sign that as soon as you, you left, it said 55? And then a little while down the road, there was another one that said 55. Did you, did you, did you see the sign? And the man says to the officer, he says, well, you see, really, you should have more signs. Every hundred feet, there should be a 55 mile an hour sign. If you had more signs, I would have obeyed the law. But because you, you, you spaced them out too far, uh, I, I decided to do my own thing. Well, that's the reality of this situation, right? The man does not obey the law, not because he doesn't know it, not because he doesn't see it, not because he hasn't seen the sign. It's because he saw the sign and he decided that he himself made the rule. He himself makes the law. However he deems to, to drive, that's his business. Not the business I won't have the state of Oregon rule over me. I will go as fast as I want. Well, such has been the condition of man since the garden, hasn't it? If you didn't want me to eat of the tree, Adam would say, you should not have given me this woman. You should have been more clear. I heard your warning, God, but you should have said that this would ruin our relationship. You should have just come out and said that I would be ruined forever. So you see, God... Because I didn't believe you, it's your fault. It isn't my fault. So you see, as I said uh, last week, the command of Jesus to repent and believe the gospel leaves only the hearer at fault for failure to believe. The hearer that ignores the command, why do they ignore the command? Well, the hearer ignores the command because that person prefers his or her authority their own authority over the authority of anyone else, and they hate to abide in any authority outside of themselves. This is the human condition because of Adam's fall into sin. You cannot tell God that He has not revealed the truth plainly. No one in here can say, put blame on God for not having revealed the truth to them plainly. Rather, what you ought to say, if that is your thinking, is that you do not like the truth that He has revealed. It's not that He hasn't revealed it plainly, you just don't like it. God has been plain with the truth, and you don't like it. So here is what these Jews, where they're at. Tell it to us plainly. Well, you don't like what you've heard. That's the reason why you don't believe. It's not because you didn't have enough signs. It's not because it wasn't plain enough. It's because you didn't like what you heard. So verse 25, Jesus answered them and he said, I told you and you do not believe. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. I told you, Jesus says, that I am the living water, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door to the kingdom. Uh, the good shepherd that leads the way into the kingdom of God and out of the kingdom of darkness. My works have confirmed that I have been sent by the Father. Water I turned into wine. I healed the official son. 
to the invalid of 38 years. I said, pick up your bed and walk. And he walked. With two fish and five loaves, I provided enough food for 5,000 men besides all of the women and children that were fed and there was food left over. I walked on water. I gave sight to a man born blind. And even some among you said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? But you do not believe. But you do not believe. Because you prefer your own authority. You do not like the truth that has been revealed. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. What is needed is not that Jesus say plainly to them, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, because in their human mind they have no, they have a, they have a completely wrong notion of what it would mean if he said it anyway. If he said, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, plainly to them, they would have said, oh, so you are an immediate political and military warrior who has come to drive out the Romans. But what they needed was not this plain statement, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. It already has been given to them plainly, I believe. What you need is the grace of God to send you in your heart instead of a military political warrior to overthrow Rome, what you need is the grace of God to send you His suffering servant. What you need is the gift of faith that you might be granted ears to hear who the Messiah really is. Let us look at verses 27 through 30 and hear the clear, clear teaching of Jesus Christ here. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So contrary to what some people think, the preaching of sovereign grace is not an invention of human minds like Calvin. Jesus here preaches the clear message of the doctrines of grace. So first, given this truth from Romans 3, that all have turned aside, altogether they have become worthless, no one does good, no, not even one, we have to assume and understand this, that God owes salvation and redemption to no one. That He should have mercy on anyone is His divine prerogative so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 27 to those whom God has chosen, to whom God has called uh, by grace. It is they who hear His voice. It is they to whom the Father has revealed the Son. And those who follow Me are those that I know, and they know Me, and they follow Me. Notice that there's a litmus test of saving faith in verse 27. There's a litmus test in there of saving faith. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This litmus test of saving faith in verse 27 is that the saved in Christ not only hear the voice of Jesus, but they obey His commands and they follow Him closely. 
I would ask you this morning, do you long to hear the voice of Jesus? I would say, read your Bible. You will hear the voice of Jesus on the pages of Scripture. Do you long to hear the audible voice of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ? I would say, do you read your Bible out loud? When you hear the Word of God out loud, you will hear the voice of Christ in the Scriptures. Do you want to know that you know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in Christ? Obey His words. Follow in His steps. Imitate Him. Even, I dare say, imitate those who imitate Him. Imitate those who are more mature than you in the Lord and imitate their way of life as that points to Jesus. And verse 28, the beginning, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. They who are without life, get this, I give them eternal life, receive a gift from the Father, eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Sounds a lot like John Calvin, but Jesus said it first. Jesus teaches the doctrines of grace, that it is dependent upon God's mercy and love and kindness to give a gift to those who would have ears to hear and believe. And that this call is effectual. That it actually has its work. That God's work is never thwarted in calling anyone. Do you know that? So if God calls Becky McAvoy to faith, guess what? It is powerful and effective and she will follow him. If she doesn't, then God is impotent, isn't he? But if she follows him, then God is sovereign. And he knows those that he calls. And they know him. And they hear his voice. And they follow him. Salvation is a gift that no one may boast of. No one may boast of. Because the glory of saving faith is to God alone. And since salvation is God's to give... We should see here in this passage that it is God's to keep. If it's God's to give, then it's God's to keep. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says a lot here. He says, he says he is not the Father, but he says positively that he is the Son. He and the Father's will are perfect in unity. What Jesus wills, the Father wills. What the Father wills, Jesus wills. They are the co-authors and the co-granters of eternal life. The Father and the Son have secured good pasture for the sheep of his flock. The thief and the robbers the pretenders that we saw in John chapter 10, verse 10, cannot snatch God's people from the grip of Jesus. The ravenous, false teaching wolves that John speaks of in chapter 10, verse 12, cannot separate the sheep from the hand of the Father. Jesus says, I and the Father are united in our will to save the sheep of the Father's choosing. And nothing or no one can snatch the sheep from the care of the shepherd. 
I hope that as you hear this this morning, that that is really super good news. I think that the gospel without that is 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 kind of not good news. It's it's sort of wishy-washy. If I'm saved, He has me. It belongs to Him. If it's dependent upon me to hang on to Him and grip and white-knuckle it to the end, I'm certain I would be undone. But here it says that Jesus' hand firmly has me by grace. By His grace. Makes me love the Lord and Savior even more to know that He has me. He will never let go of me. There is nothing that can rob it from His hand because salvation didn't belong to me in the first place. Since salvation belonged to God and God alone, through Christ alone, by a gift of faith that God has given, I am comforted by the fact that both Jesus will never let me go and the Father will never let me go and that they are united in those that they choose. Nothing or no one can snatch the sheep from the care of the Father's hand. So, moving forward. Let's look at verses 31 and 32. So, in light of Jesus saying this, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you going to stone me? Because these Jewish brothers prefer their own authority and they hate to abide in any authority outside of themselves, unable to say that Jesus has not revealed the truth to them plainly. They can't say that. They cannot at this point say that Jesus has not given them the truth plainly. But these Jews do not like the truth that Jesus revealed to them. So they pick up stones to kill him. And then Jesus, Jesus turns the tables and charges them. What display of God's work in me, Jesus would say, is that which offends you to the point of murder? What work is it that offends you so much that you're desirous to kill me? And their answer reveals a lack of understanding. Look at verse 33. The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. You're a man who makes himself God. Because you blaspheme God, we are, we are going to stone you. Jesus was not a man who made himself God. God made himself man in the person of Jesus Christ. They get this backwards. You are a man who makes yourself God. Well, we know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He, God, made Him self sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He sent His Son 
God made himself one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. And their accusation here is that you, a being a man, you make yourself God. It seems as though they missed the point, right? They missed it. But the sheep hear that voice, right? The sheep hear that truth and they respond to that. These guys say, you making, you are making yourself God. Well, verse 34 through 39, let's look at that. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world your blasphemy because I said I am the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and that I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. See, Jesus takes a very high view of Scripture. And every time Jesus takes a high view of Scripture, notice that none of his opponents oppose that. All of his opponents would say that they take a high view of Scripture as well. They would never oppose him. And Jesus quotes Psalm 82.6, and he's focusing in on the fact that God calls those who represent the Most High God, Israel, who God has given authority in some areas to rule and to govern and to shepherd God's people, he calls them lowercase g, gods. But Jesus here says, see, the scripture cannot be broken. Concerning himself, concerning anything I've told you, the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. It's like Jeremiah says, is my word not like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rocks into pieces? Where do you start? Do you start with the authority of Scripture? What does the Scripture say concerning Jesus, the Son of God? And do you believe it? Well, verse 36. Do you say that I am of the Father? That, that uh, Do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world that you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Jesus says, I am the Son of God. My works testify to the work of the Father in me. And yet I charge you people, he's charging them. The tables have turned. They charge him of blasphemy. And he's really charging him of the greatest sin of all. Unbelief. It's the great sin. The great sin is unbelief. It's clearly stated. It's been plainly pointed out that Jesus is the Christ. There's human responsibility here, and it is the greatest sin of all, is unbelief. And if you sit here today having heard the word of God and you refuse to believe, then you stand accused before God. The scripture is clear. The invisible attributes of God are clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And therefore, you are without excuse. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And they sought to arrest him. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of the living God. The testimony of Jesus' word has been confirmed by his works that he and the Father are perfectly one in will, perfectly one in nature. He is the Word made flesh, doing the will and the work of the Father, and in him there is no inconsistency. Either believe his words or believe his works. My brother-in-law Richard can probably tell you 
the miraculous work of God in his life through Jesus Christ. He can testify to that truth. My buddy John Roberts can testify to the transforming work of God through Jesus and by faith in his life as well. And I know many of you in here that can confirm Jesus' words are true because God has done a work in your life. Well, let us hear the testimony of those who heard the testimony of John the Baptist here. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Everything John said, Jesus' words and works have been confirmed, and many believed. So for for you Christians in here, your gospel witness should be plainly stated, plainly stated through your words, plainly displayed by your works, plainly affirmed by the testimony of others. If you are of the sheepfold, you should be following Jesus. If you are united in his death, you should live like you're united in his resurrection by living a life according to the Spirit. If you are in the will of Christ, do the work of Christ, declaring the words of Christ and reconciling sinners to God. You are God's ambassadors. If you are his sheep, follow. If you are as his sheep, get on his mission. If you are his sheep, accomplish his will as he works in you. I would ask us this morning to contemplate this. Do you abide in your own authority or are you submitted to the authority of God's word and of his Christ? Another question to ponder. If it was illegal to be a Christian... Could anyone bring such a charge against you? Or are your words and your works so inconsistent that there might be some doubt? And as a church body, as we gather each Lord's Day, we gather to declare the excellencies of Christ. We gather to stir one another up to love and good works. But our behavior amongst each other must also testify to the mystery of the gospel. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I'm writing you this in case I can't come, right? In case I don't get there. That you ought to know how one ought to behave in the household of God. A pillar and a buttress of the truth. How we interact with each other confirms whether or not we really believe the testimony of Jesus or not how we live amongst each other, how we conduct ourselves as a body, should testify to the mystery of the gospel. See, we are so different from one another. Many of us have are, are way different from one another. But what we testify when we get along and when we, when we put up with one another, when we uh, are not adamant about our own peculiar wants and preferences over others. We display the mystery of the gospel. These people are so far apart from one another, yet they have unity with one another. Yet they get along. Yet they love one another. That is a display of the mystery of the gospel. A pillar and a buttress of the truth. 
that Jesus Christ takes sinners out of the world, out of the kingdom of darkness, and he brings them in, all types of sinners, every different kind there is. There's no sin that you guys have out there that he uh, saved you from that is, is not included in those that he calls and that he's brought in, right? So we have all kinds of different sin issues, but God brings us together and says, this is my kingdom people. I have called them, they heard my voice, and they followed after me, and now here they are gathered together, right? This displays the mystery of the gospel. And we know this, that the pillar and the buttress of the truth that we carry is that all we have is Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, the gift of God. So let us take a moment now and just reflect on God's Word in a moment of silence and have it have its effect in our lives and hearts. And Father God, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You for calling us out of darkness. We thank You for Your sovereign grace that saved us. We thank You that You have given us ears to hear the voice of the Savior. That You have overcome our stubborn, hard will against You, Lord. That You have overcome our desire for autonomy. And You have caused us to willingly submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ under the authority of Your Scriptures, Lord. We ask that You help us to walk in that truth this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.